Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Movie Dicks Podcast. I'm Gabriel Chavez. And I'm Paul Schindel. Today, we are joined by our friend Chris. He is a key grip here in New York and Pennsylvania. Say hello, Chris. How you doing? Today, we gag and paddle the 2015 erotic thriller known as Fifty Shades of Grey. But first, this is a comedy podcast. If you have not seen the movie we are about to shit on or you want to avoid spoilers, stop now. But if you don't care about spoilers or want to laugh and learn why this movie sucks so bad, wrap it up twice lest you get blue waffles and have your genitals rot off. Without further ado, let's hand it over to Pablo Francisco. By the way, Paul, did you actually Google? You did Google blue waffles, right? You've actually seen pictures of that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, do, not, do not image search blue waffles unless you really want to see something highly disturbing. But anyway, so without further ado, let's hand it over to Pablo Francisco. <clears throat> Literature student Anastasia Steele's life changes forever when she meets handsome yet tormented billionaire Christian Grey. I mean, what the fuck could they say about this movie? <laughs> like, there's not a whole lot that they can do with that. But this is a universal release through their Focus Features label in association with Michael DeLuca Productions and Trigger Street Productions. Focus Features' name should be permanently removed from this movie as they have had a hand in some of the best releasing of indie movies for years. From Roman Polanski with The Pianist, the Fred Rogers documentary Won't You Be My Neighbor, the unimpeachably fantastic Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, into the Wild with Speed Racer alum Emile Hirsch, McConaughey's Oscar-winning Dallas Buyers Club, The Hilarious in Bruges and Shaun of the Dead, Talk to Her, Manchester by the Sea, and many, many others. How'd they get roped into this shit? Yeah, I know. It's a good question. And, <laughs> and of course, they did Ang Lee's Lust Caution. Did you fucking watch that movie yet? I've only been saying it like six times over the course of this podcast. Yeah, I haven't I'm watched still it, actually. waiting. Just fucking watch it. It's on Netflix, for Christ's sake. It's a great movie. Anyway, the list just keeps going and going for great films from Focus. I can't express how much I love this releasing company, and I truly wish that they were not a part of this movie. However, they did give us Seed of Chucky, The Forest, Balls of Fury, Sinister 2, The Hitcher remake with Can You Stop Killing Me, Sean Bean, London Has Fallen, the Texas Chainsaw remake with Jessica Biel. Side note, fuck you, director Marcus Nispel, and fuck you, producer Michael Bay. And London Has Fallen. <laughs> Hopefully one of the last nails in Gerard. Have you Butler's heard of uh, Gabe's issues with Michael Bay? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I seem to have caught something on Instagram about that. <laughs> I, I've worked for Michael Bay. I'll just leave that there. <laughs> Gabe will never be working with him, apparently. No. <laughs> so. I, I did get paid, but I also got the uh, I got bit by the the, the tick and got a. Uh, oh uh, yeah, I didn't know yeah, that was on a Michael Bay movie. Yeah, it was on Transformers too. Oh shit! I got Lyme disease. Oh fuck! Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. Well, fuck you, Michael Bay. That was his fault. <laughs> I'm just gonna drink a lot. 
Anyway, they they also were involved with London Has Fallen, which is hopefully one of the last nails in Gerard Butler's acting coffin so I can stop having to look at your so-called acting. But anyway, Michael DeLuca Productions has done 76 titles, including the excellent movie Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks, the movie that should have won Best Picture in 2011 called The Social Network. Instead, we just have to give it to the fucking King's Speech and be rewarded for that good faith when Tom Hooper shit in my fucking subconscious with the rancid litter box of a movie he called cats but i digress they also gave us the excellent Moneyball and the sisters brothers with stepbrothers alum john c riley they did give us the abhorrent mike myers shit heap known as the love guru the 50 shades trilogy obviously ghost rider 2 spirit of vengeance as well as the first ghost rider drive angry with cage again the kitchen with melissa mccarthy the inexplicable movie priest with the tourist alum paul bettany and the forthcoming remake paul of the great outdoors yet another john <laughs> candy movie that they have to fuck with with wait for it paul kevin fucking hart playing the john what? candy huh. are you serious <laughs> yeah i love yes. that movie Yes, this is a real remake that is actually uh, happening right now. Trigger Street Productions is owned by Kevin Pedophile Spacey. That's what you need to know. They did pro they did produce the excellent Netflix drama House of Cards, the funny if underwhelming fanboys, shout out New Mexico Film, and 13 movies starring Spacey as well, but I won't go into them here as I am not interested in anything that that man has done since the news broke of his charges three years ago. Five misinformed people were responsible for this reprehensible pile of used condoms. Of them, I want to talk about Jeb Brody, Dana Brunetti, and Marcus Vicitti. Side note, this movie was produced entirely by men, minus a throwaway EP credit for the author of the books, E.L. James, and it fucking shows, as Anastasia Steele is a vapid excuse for a woman who fails the Beckdale test on every <laughs> single fucking level. Again, God damn you, Hollywood, for continually doing this to women in film and television. Jeb produced the excellent one-take wonder from Sam Mendes called 1917 that is a gorgeous and brilliant movie, the ridiculously brilliant indie called Chop Shop from 2007, the excellent and hilarious Little Miss Sunshine, which despite taking place partially in New Mexico was not shot at all in New Mexico, the fantastically entertaining Groundhog Day sequel thriller Source Code with Jake Gyllenhaal, the well-acted Sunshine Cleaning with my third wife, Emily blunt and the always excellent amy Wait. adams how many wives are you up to now again uh i'm up to seven <laughs> i think <laughs> i know one or two of them yeah i know we're not going into that right now i don't want to fucking hear it chris shout out new mexico film again for sunshine cleaning however he did produce the awful tom hanks directed and starring movie called larry crown with julia roberts and the fucking mummy with tom cruise which is unequivocally one of the worst movies i saw if not the worst in 2017 have you fucking seen that yet paul that's that's one that's like the second time that i brought that up maybe it's time to look at that one that one's a really bad one but anyway dana Brunetti has produced 51 titles over the years with Captain Phillips and the Social Network being his best and the card counting 20-somethings movie 21 Masterminds with Zach Galafikanakis, Father of Invention and Columbus Day with Val Kilmer being his worst. He's also set to make a Gran Turismo movie yes, based on the video game because those work out so fucking well and a movie called The Wells Initiative about a young H.G. Wells Also, he produced the TV series remake of Swimming with Sharks, if that's worth anything, the movie with Frank Whaley 
and Benicio Del Toro is fucked up and hilarious, so why not destroy something good with a TV show that will inevitably suck? The last producer is Marcus Vesitti, who produced 40 titles over the years, among them the excellent TV show Billions, the excellent and hilarious indie comedy about the horrors of filmmaking called Living in Oblivion, the underrated if formulaic Wicker Park with the former star who was named Josh Hartnett, the unfairly reviewed rendition with Jake Gyllenhaal, the excellent cop drama Pride and Glory with Edward Norton and Colin Farrell. Seriously, I love this movie even though it is a fucking mess. The previously mentioned The Hunted with Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio Del Toro featuring Benicio slicing people apart in the Oregon forest and the upcoming Sopranos prequel called The Many Saints of Newark. Oh, and he produced Sex in the City 2, an arduously long 146-minute sequel to a sequel with a stunning 27 on Metacritic and Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, one of the many, many movies I will always hold against Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> you know how to hold a drugs game. Jesus. I know it's it's hard for me to let go of the bad shit that he's done because while he has done a lot of good shit he's done a lot of really really horrible stuff too this movie stars the bizarre actress known as Dakota Johnson the discount magic Mike Muppet named Jamie Dornan who couldn't act his way out of a fucking paper bag Max Martini and Marsha Gay Harden Dakota is bizarre in that she has made a name for herself with this awful trilogy but somehow it didn't kill her career she had a one episode role in the finale of The Office, a small role in Fincher's The Social Network. She was good in The Excellent Peanut Butter Falcon. She's in 21 Jump Street, the Tarantino wannabe Bad Times at El Royale, the movie that features Johnny Depp bulging his eyes out so you know he is wearing contacts called Black Mass, the overly long but pretty atmospherically effective remake of Suspiria, the disaster known as Need for Speed with Breaking Bad star Aaron Paul, a bigger splash with Tilda Swinton and Goats. A movie that I wanted to fucking punch David Duchovny for making. Discount Magic Mike Jamie Dornan was in the decent Netflix war film called The Siege of Jadotville. The boring but effective anthropoid from cashback director Sean Alice. He was totally miscast in a private war with Rosamund Pike. The underwhelming but entertaining Marie Antoinette with Kirsten Dunst, which I do not remember him in whatsoever. And he is in the upcoming Anthony Mackie starring horror drama called Synchronic, I think is how you say that word. But he was also in the awful The Ninth Life of Louis Drax from High Tension director Alexander Ayah, Trolls World Tour, and Robin Hood. What oh, that's that, like the 27th version of this story at this point? With my sixth <laughs> wife, Eve Hewson. So there's that. Oh, okay. Shut up, Chris. Do not. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? No, go ahead, Chris, because Paul needs to hear it from your mouth as you oh, do no, no, on no. every I'm, job. I'm going to wait for a really awkward moment of this movie to tell <laughs> Paul about how I saved the life of an international rock star's daughter. You know, I'm just putting it out there. It's a little teaser. Yeah, great. All right. We'll get to that in a second, Paul. But Max, <laughs> Max Martini, I wanted to bring up because on top of having a badass name and being a great character actor, he's completely fucking wasted in this movie as Discount Magic Mike's driver. Max has been in 95 projects over the years, including the always perfect and unimpeachable Saving Private Ryan, Captain Phillips, the excellent movie Contact. I don't give a fuck what the haters say about this movie. Fuck you. I like this movie, but Pacific Rim Wait, and who's what? Oh, are you talking about Pacific Rim or no, 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 no. In Contact, he's in Contact. Uh, who hates Contact, <laughs> dude? A lot of people hate Contact. I love it. 
<laughs> I think it's a great movie, man. But anyway, he was also in Pacific Rim and Red Belt from David Mamet with the Lion King 2019 alum, the great... Chiwido Ijiafar. Also, he was in My Little Pony, the movie, Sabotage from the Tax Collector alum David I Did Training Day Air, and some fucking movie called Hiroken, The Last Samurai, which has a 3.3 on IMDb, and stars West Ricky Fitz Bentley, starring as a fucking samurai in the title role. Like, what the actual fuck is this movie? <laughs> Lastly for the actors is Marsha Gay Harden, the always, always excellent Oscar-winning actress who won for her work in Ed Harris's brilliant directorial debut, Pollock. She is excellent in Clint Eastwood's brilliant Mystic River, the Coen Brothers' Miller's Crossing, the excellent Tony Kaye-directed Detachment with Adrian Brody, and one of my favorites with one of the most fucked-up endings of all time, The Mist, which I will always love that movie. has <laughs> a great fucking ending, Wait, even though... What, the crazy religious lady in that movie? Yeah, she or? was the crazy religious lady that gets shot in the head. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> she was, however, in Flubber, which is just awful, and David Goyer's unwatchable movie, The Invisible, as well as some movie from 2015 called David Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendant. Just, what the fuck, Marsha? <laughs> I know that everybody needs a paycheck, but this woman is a fucking Oscar winner, dude. Like, how the fuck did this happen? Anyway, this movie is written by Kelly Marcel and is based on the used shit-stained Fruit of the Looms excuse for a book by E.L. James. <laughs> Kelly wrote seven things in her life and only one Shades of Grey movie, by the way, beginning with the short-lived TV show Tierra Nova and the Academy Award-nominated Saving Mr. Banks about anti-Semite Walt Disney starring Tom Hanks as the Mouse Master himself. She also wrote the tragedy of a superhero movie called Venom and is currently in post on her scripted Venom 2, Cruella, a live-action movie starring Oscar winner Emma Stone wait, 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 about that, the villain. They're making what? Venom 2? Yeah. Why? It's... <laughs> <laughs> because the first did Venom they... actually made money for some reason. It did? Jesus. Yeah, a lot of money, dude. Like 900 million worldwide. How can you see the trailer for that movie and want to see that? Like, <laughs> I mean, I, that movie. I saw it, so I didn't oh, pay okay. for it, oh. but that's a different story. <laughs> I paid for it. Right. Why? Because my son wanted to watch it, and I'm a good parent. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, okay. Well, All okay. Right. All right. Well, we won't begrudge that. All right. So anyway. <laughs> Uh, she also wrote a movie cr called Cruella, which is a live-action movie starring Oscar winner Emma Stone about the villain from 101 Dalmatians, and some Elvis biopic from the Australian crazy man himself, Baz Luhrmann, with the guy who played murderer Tex Watson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood playing Elvis. Well, it might be interesting. Baz is a fucking crazy person, but besides the fact, <laughs> this movie was directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. She's an indie director who is married to kick-ass star Aaron Taylor Johnson, who is 23 years her junior, by the way. I find that wild that he is married to someone who is almost twice his 30-year age, but that's another story. She is made... <laughs> I'm not shaming, by the way. Don't fucking come at me about that kind of shit. It's just something interesting, all right? I just had to bring it up. But... She has made three movies in her time, beginning with the excellent Nowhere Boy, where she met 19-year-old husband Aaron, starring as John Lennon in his youth, and most recently with Oprah's Most Betrayed Moment book, 
movie called A Million Little Pieces, also starring husband Aaron. She also directed two episodes of a TV show for Netflix called Gypsy, if that's worth anything. I still haven't seen it, even though it's got Naomi Watts in it, and I love that woman. This movie was released on February 13th, 2015, Friday the 13th, by the way, in case you didn't fucking know, just in time for Valentine's Day, at 3,655 theaters and was produced for 40 million bucks. Not to denigrate any movies that are far superior to this, but this is the very definition of a mid-budget erotic thriller that Michael Douglas survived on <laughs> for most of the late 80s and early 90s. This is exactly that same kind of movie. But mid-budget movies look expensive, they aren't that much for the studio to plunk down, and nine times out of ten, they make money. It's not a billion dollars, but it's three to five times the budget. You make five of these a year and you have another Batman billion dollar box office return. Pay attention Hollywood, you don't need the 200 to 300 million dollar movies that need to make one and a half billion dollars to be profitable. This would eliminate the reliance on Asian markets and the blatant pandering to them, as well as endless sequels and franchises fatigue a la The Last Star Wars and The Last <laughs> Hunger Games movie. This would also eliminate the need for reboots and remakes. But I digress again. This movie opened in the number one spot with an 85.171 million dollar weekend. Just fuck you everyone that fucking paid to see this pile of shit in theaters. <laughs> Over the fucking President's Day weekend, it made $93.01 million against a $40 million budget. That's really fucking great, by the way, and guaranteed that they would make the other two books into movies. <laughs> yeah. At $49 million below it, the hyper-entertaining Kingsman The Secret Service was in the number two spot in its first week, followed by the SpongeBob movie Sponge Out of Water in its second week, American Sniper was number four in its eighth week, and the cosmic horror disaster of a movie called Jupiter Ascending rounded out the top five in its second week. I love Kingsman. It's one of my favorite movies. I love Kingsman too. I I fucking like the second one too. I I mean I hate to say uh... it. I liked it. I didn't say I loved it. Alright? So calm down before you start <laughs> shitting on my movie taste. Uh... <laughs> Also out this week was the god-awful Seventh Son, the excellent Paddington. Just see the fucking movie already, Paul, all right? All right, all right, I watched all right. it. All this right, so week. talk to me. Talk to and me. Yes, it was very charming, and I don't see the relationship to Christmas because it's marketed as a Christmas movie, but there sure. you go. Which movie yeah, are we talking about? Paddington. Paddington. It's got a bear. He likes marmalade, <laughs> and he goes to London. And everyone ignores him, despite him being a talking bear, which does make it. Uh, yeah, you probably know this, but who wrote that? That's a very good question. I don't know that off the top of my head. The book okay. or the movie? No, the, 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 not the book, but the movie. I don't actually know who wrote Pat. I, I, I think it's a legit writer. Yeah. Uh, Paul King. Like, I know it's Shyamalan, Paul King. Hmm. I have to look yeah, into it. Yeah, Paul King. It looks like his writing credits are Paddington, Paddington 2, and Bunny and the Bull, which I don't know what that is. Uh, what were you saying? You thought it was a legit writer and something about Shyamalan? Shyamalan wrote um, the, the Mouse. What was the, the Mouse? Right, movie? right, right. Stuart Little. He wrote the first one. I think he wrote both of them, didn't he? I don't know. I remember that he wrote the first one. I don't remember if yeah. he wrote the second <laughs> one. But that is an odd thing about his career that I didn't bring up when we were doing that movie, The Happening, actually, is that he wrote Stuart Lee. Oh, I worked on that movie. Oh, The Happening? Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I, this, Paul King sounds like, like a stage name. It's, yeah. it's weird. You don't go right into writing a movie that's a $100 million production and, and then right into a sequel, so I wonder who Paul King really is. I don't know. 
I mean, maybe he used somebody's prick as a whistle, and that's how he got it. I really, I really don't know. <laughs> Can you say that when I don't have a cigar in my mouth? <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad that you watched the first Paddington, Paul. Did you watch the second one yet? No, I haven't watched it. second one was nominated for Best Picture at the BAFTAs, motherfucker. What? <laughs> yes. Watch it. Stop talking shit. Uh, it's an 88 I'm on Metacritic. <laughs> You can calm down about Paddington, man. You're very passionate. It's because you keep talking shit about Paddington. (laughs) Just watch it. Anyway, also out this week was the Oscar-winning movie Imitation Game and another awful erotic thriller with the episode 13 Gigli alum J-Lo called The Boy Next Door, a.k.a. J-Lo fucks a boy. Let's not forget that she made this movie. Anyway, she doesn't get naked in it, which is like a severe disappointment because it is rated R for nudity in there, but like J-Lo isn't the nudity. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, come on. (laughs) At some point, at some point, just help me out here. But anyway, this opening makes 50 Shades of Shit, the number three movie of all time movies opening on President's day weekend with 2016's ryan reynolds vehicle deadpool 59 million dollars above it marvel's 2018 black panther topping the list with a mere 152 million dollar lead on fucking 50 shades of shit and this year's sonic the fucking hedgehog below it by 23 million dollars how the fuck did sonic the hedgehog have a 70 million dollar weekend paul Uh, you apparently are not a dad (laughs) because at that point of the covid winter i would have literally taken my kids to see like your production of star wars shot in your fucking bathtub (laughs) i mean literally you know we bent the curve the movie opened i i would have literally gone and seen requiem from a dream with my kids (laughs) just to get them out of the house (laughs) oh man you know we were talking uh in a previous episode about how a buddy of ours this guy named matt he took a girl on a first date to go see requiem for a dream not knowing what he was about to walk into yeah how'd that work out (laughs) well it didn't work close that snatch real quick on him so (laughs) he said yeah i remember you told me a little bit about it he chris also worked on ghost dog way of the samurai bro oh badass yeah That was a great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. But I am currently working on Godfather of Harlem season two with Forrest Whitaker. He's amazing. He is amazing. I love that guy. He's but he's so fucking paranoid about COVID that he has his own COVID PA and he doesn't go near anybody. He they want like a thirty foot barrier around Forrest at all times, so that way he's nowhere near anybody. Which is kinda interesting. But I'm like, you know, if he wants that, fine. You know, I mean it's his life. It's his fucking project. He's an executive producer on it. So Can we do an all COVID show at some point? where we feature movies and TV shows where the COVID team got sick with COVID. Because I now know of three three movies that have shut down because the COVID police got COVID. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Actually, that brings up an excellent, excellent sidebar here is that there is a movie that is uh, showing trailers right now called Songbird. I don't know if you've heard of it, but <clears throat> Michael Bay produced it. And it's this movie that they shot in April of this year during the fucking shutdown about <laughs> COVID and like he's got this small cast but the reason why it's important in some way is because every union in LA, IATSE, the Teamsters and everybody said boycott this movie do not fucking show up to work because these people are not paying attention to the fucking pandemic or putting any safety measures in place for the SAG actors that are on set and guess what half the fucking crew got COVID but besides the 
mic. Doesn't matter. But now <laughs> Michael Bay's like pushing it as like he's some sort of brilliant producer in order to do this. And I'm like, no, you're a money grubbing shithead that doesn't care about anybody else's fucking safety but your pocketbook. That's all you give a shit about. I'm gonna move on here before I start getting really angry about Michael Bay because <laughs> I got this movie to be angry about. But this opening also makes this movie the ninth best R-rated opening weekend of all time behind The Hangover Part 2 from 2011 and above Mel Antisemite Gibson's 2004 Biblical Torture Extravaganza, Passion of the Christ, below it. This movie was in theaters for 322 days because they just couldn't get enough money and went on to gross 166 0.17 million dollars domestically and 403.48 million dollars worldwide bringing its total lead it sucked off from the world at 569.65 million dollars this international gross yeah not bad this international gross makes this movie the 155th all-time worldwide box office holder with the tween vampire werewolf sex melodrama the twilight saga eclipse above it and the big willy shit stain known as hancock below it all in all not great bedfellows to rub shoulders with but that's beyond the point side note this franchise made a total of 1.324 billion dollars at the box office worldwide on a total of 150 million dollars spent on these three movies. However, the opening of the first and the second saw 50 million dollar drop off in the domestic box office and 190 million internationally, where the third movie brought up the rear. Ha! <laughs> Get it? Because of anal sex, you motherfucker. <laughs> With a 66 million dollar drop off domestically and a 200 million dollar drop off internationally this is the very definition of franchise fatigue with three movies in only three years the world collectively became disinterested the country that emphatically denied consent to this movie was iceland with a two thousand seven hundred ninety two dollar opening and a fifty six thousand three hundred seventy five dollar gross once again as you'll remember from episode 23 black hat as well as the air i breathe the top grossing movie of all time in iceland was the 2008 icelandic film called white night wedding with a $797,000 gross at a cost of 1,098.59 Icelandic krona or ISK as is the abbreviation or $8.43 American that brings total frozen Icelandic asses and seats to 331.19 people saw this movie opening weekend in Iceland and unfortunately 6,687.3 people contracted this STD over the course of its release. <laughs> With a total population of 329,100 people in 2015, that means that 1.0061 thousandths of Iceland's population showed up to warm up with this movie opening weekend. And unfortunately, again, 2.03% of Iceland's population went back for sloppy seconds. Comparatively, though, the of the 320.7 million people in the U.S. in 2015 at an average cost of $8.43 in the United States, that means that 3 0.44% of our total population saw this movie opening weekend and it spread to 6.15% of the population over the course of its run in theaters. So at least Iceland kept its positivity rate down just like they did with <laughs> fucking COVID. 
Besides the point. Is is the Iceland analysis like a running theme on this show? Uh, I mean, it's just kind of popped up three times now. It's the country that's featured itself the most in terms of the smallest box office return by a country. I mean, so is this it, like, you know, whatever Watkins Glen or whatever the hell that, you know, that votes at like midnight in Vermont? I mean, is, is, the, is this the canary in the coal mine, Iceland? Uh, uh, I I don't know to be honest with you. I wouldn't uh, I, I wouldn't put it past a really either. small country, but they have their shit together in that they publish box office data, and so they keep coming <laughs> up again and again. Versus Rwanda, you know, you don't, right. you're not going to get box office data from Dude, them. Right? So. Last what was it? Last week, Paul, that Ethiopia came up, and I had to search. I took three hours searching for Ethiopian box office data, and I couldn't find <laughs> shit. I was just like, I had the numbers on Box Office Mojo, but I was just like, I don't know where the fuck these numbers came from or how much the cost of a ticket in Ethiopia cost in 2014 when the movie we were looking at was made. And I was just like all over the place trying to find this shit. And it took a lot of fucking work to find the statistics <laughs> that I did. But besides the point, Fifty Shades of Grey has an awful 4.1 out of 10 with 295,705 votes, which is surprisingly higher than I thought, and a 46 on Metacritic and a splatty 25% on RottenTomatoes.com with an identical 41% audience score to IMDb. I'll let you guess here, Paul. Who does this movie rank highest amongst? Females 45 plus. Guess. Actually, no. Females aged what? less than 18 with a uh, 5.3 out of 10. Uh, Right. and the lowest amongst <laughs> guess again paul uh, males 25 to 30 <laughs> males aged less than 18 with a 3.5 out of 10 this week i am flaccid from thinking of the 35,294 people or 11.9 percent of the voters on imdb that gave this movie a perfect fucking 10 best movie ever made on imdb my rating this week one out of 10 stars same as 68,785 others or 23.3 percent of the voters on imdb my favorite reviews this week begin with thelma adams of zeal new york city thelma penetrates quote the biggest disappointment for those non-readers of the book is the feeling of is that all there is a bit of rope some hanging around six smacks it's tame enough to make Tyrion Lannister of Game of Thrones smirk. End quote. Original score, 1.5 out of 4 stars. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone erects, quote, I'm shocked, shocked, do you hear me, that the film version of E.L. James's Fifty Shades of Grey is such a dull, decorous affair about as erotic as an ad for Pottery Barn, strictly intended for <laughs> gluttons for punishment by boredom. End quote. Original score, 1 out of 4 stars. Lastly, Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian castrates, quote, Maybe the smoldering, sado-obsessed hero does not have a penis it could account for his tastes and his decor end quote original score one out of five stars lastly Never 50 shades critique a movie for its like set design if that's <laughs> what talking about. i mean it is an important part of filmmaking <laughs> i've I seen know, some but, bad uh, movies with bad <laughs> set design <laughs> lastly 50 shades of gray is rated r for strong sexual content including dialogue some unusual behavior and graphic nudity and for language was the unusual behavior the forced romance in this movie that it is so unusual that the mpaa had to include it in their descriptor <laughs> just saying 
So, Paul, A.J. Pierzynski stands at bat. It's Wednesday, October 12th, 2005, as we stand in U.S. Cellular Field, now guaranteed rate field. What the fuck does that mean, anyway? Like, some leftover name from when cell carriers counted minutes in long distance? But we are in Chicago, Illinois. This stadium is packed to the gills with 41,013 fans. That's over 100% capacity, by the way, of a 40,615-seat stadium. It's game two of the 2005 American League Championship where the Angels face off against the White Sox on home turf. It's almost 10 p.m. and the Angels pitcher Kelvin Vim, not Vin, with an M people, Escobar sends a ball to home base as AJ awaits his fate. This six foot three inch tall 250 pound sack of shit from Bridgehampton, New York is about to do one of the worst fuck yous to everyone in baseball history. The game is tied 1-1 as the Angels Escobar fires the ball straight over home plate and AJ swings. Angels catcher Josh Paul catches a low ball sending AJ into a strikeout. But wait, Paul. AJ decides as he turns to go to the batter's box that rules suddenly don't apply to him. Despite the ball not having made contact with his bat, he decides, fuck it, why not, and drops his bat and 180s his lard ass around to run to first base as if catcher Josh Paul had dropped the ball. Home plate umpire Doug Eddings decides he doesn't give a shit enough in order to make a call either way <laughs> as AJ ran to first. Ultimately, this call wasn't reversed as this was a time before the official replay, and the Angels would win this game 2-1 to one as the stolen base call remained intact despite AJ being out. You see, Paul, as far as baseball fuckups go, this is entirely umpire Eddings' fault for not making the call. But this lack of interest is exploited by the dickhead AJ was, and he led the fucking Los Angeles Angels, a town full of fake shitheads, by the way, to the win. <laughs> it is a surprise that the entire team wasn't murdered in the streets that night of Chicago, but ultimately, the Sox moved on to win the World Series this year, leaving AJ and the rest of the base-stealing Angels to use their tears as lubricant as they masturbate about what it would have been like in order to play a fair game and actually earn the series. We flash back as you stand on the mound, Paul, debating if AJ and company are really that much of cocksuckers as you have heard. Just then, you wind up and you pitch this motherfucker to me, Paul. Uh, oh, my knickers! My knickers are dry. They've been dry since 1965. <laughs> Let me tell you. I've got a story that's going to make them wet, wet as <laughs> London Eve on Christmas night. <laughs> the story about a young man named Christian. He likes to tie up women and do very naughty things to their naughty bits. <laughs> Anna, Anna, her name, she's a, a literature student. <laughs> a virgin, a manky virgin, though. Very, very manky. She likes what Chris does for her. <laughs> uh, I know I know this story is going to have a lot of appeal to the, the women around the world. It's about a man who takes charge. Just <laughs> like Winston Churchill did back when I needed him most. Wait, how did the fucking house cleaner get in here? Aren't you supposed to be babysitting some kids or something like that? <laughs> Fuck out of here, you limey girl. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. I got nothing. <laughs> you, you can't pitch this to me. Okay. All right. So a disclaimer <laughs> necessary here. 
I read the book out of morbid curiosity, and it's damn near I the worst. Not. It's the worst fucking thing I've ever read. Chris, you can agree with me on this. Cereal boxes and QAnon theories included. <laughs> the word that pervades the book the most, which is fucking maddening because E.L. James is a fucking hack, was the word murmured. It permanently fucked that word up for me, given that it was used approximately 28,501 times in the book. The book sucks, the movie sucks more, and this is the tamest BDSM sex I've ever seen put to the screen. But besides the fact, so Paul, straight off the bat, had you seen this before? I have not seen it. I have not read the books either. Okay. <laughs> Who shot the movie? Seamus McGarvey, of all people, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. It looks like it, it's shot like a romantic comedy. I mean, <laughs> take the fucking 32 mil off the camera once, please. <laughs> I mean, it's literally a dark romantic comedy. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I, I keep, I, I'm waiting for Sarah Jessica Parker to pop out behind your head. It's like, you know, I am a foot. <laughs> I look like a foot. <laughs> See, that, that, was the, that was the prequel. That's coming, Chris. In about 10 years after the last movie, Movie, they'll make the prequel with Sarah Jessica Parker or some other fucking yeah. girl. No, it's probably going to be Jennifer Love Hewitt. That's who they would cast in the prequel. That was his previous girl or whatever. I don't, and, I don't know if they could get her. And Sarah Jessica Parker should play uh, Mrs. Uh, Robinson, the the woman who is supposedly his dom that like exposed him to this uh. whole thing. You can see that, right, Paul? <laughs> yeah. Listen, I, I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due. The colors are nice. Mm -hmm. The isn't bad but literally they need to switch up the lenses here <laughs> i mean this is I, I don't know who edited it i don't you know i'm not familiar familiar with the dp but it, it looks like a romantic comedy right now it's just darker it's like you know yeah. oh wait make it darker you know but it <laughs> Where'd they shoot it? They shot it in Canada, even though it's supposed to Vancouver. take place in Seattle. Fucking Canadians. <laughs> All right. First thing I saw being a resident of Seattle is they showed a bunch of people standing around with umbrellas. And no one fucking uses umbrellas in Seattle, man. No one does. Only the Navy does. <laughs> the Navy now. Okay. This this is a this is a recurring thing in my notes, Paul. As I go through this, I keep asking, "Does it rain this much in Seattle?" Because Jesus Christ, yeah, it does. Point. Yeah. Okay. It rains so, a lot in the winter. Yeah. So, Chris, since you read the book and I read the book, tell me tell me how you felt about the book. All right, I'm gonna slightly embarrass myself. <laughs> I went to Catholic school and well, that's a whole nother podcast um, in place of science and geography and actual civics classes, you know, things that kind of matter. Yeah. Um, you know, we had religion classes. So right. movie, I mean, this book came out when I had one of my first iPhones and I found, <laughs> I found the iBooks app and I found the constitution app at the same day. Nice. And I was conflicted while my you know daily toilet time as to whether I would read this to the constitution of the United States. <laughs> and I will never forget reading this book because I would get literally a chapter or two into it. I'd be like, no, I'm going to read the fifth amendment. <laughs> <laughs> and I completed both of them about the same time. <laughs> the uh my reaction to the book when i read it was just i was i was kind of shocked that this was something that everybody was like reading at the time and this was the national bestseller because it's like really this book which is damn near unreadable because it just like it plays it plays sort of like a bad porn screenplay remember in uh in boogie nights when they're talking about the script in that one scene and he's just like she talks to him about this and then they go at it and then she walks into the other room and then they go at it <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> It's 
exactly the way the book reads is it's like everything in between is just like these broad strokes and then there's like this immense detail about his throbbing appendage she keeps calling it throughout the book but wasn't wasn't this fan fiction uh yes it was actually yeah. supposed to be a uh, fucking twilight fan twilight, fiction. right right yes yes, yes. thank you for see that. Me. well i'm calling out my wife my wife is, like- is totally team edward I love the girl to death, but literally that's the only point of grounds for divorce that I think. I'm- <laughs> my my wife is a uh, team. Jim in fact, if, if if I can walk away, I we we have a life size cut out of Edward in the house, <laughs> and I will totally go get it. <laughs> my oh, wife yeah. is team Jacob. At least Robert Pattinson still has a career. That's a big difference there. I have no idea what the fuck happened to that other guy. What's his name? Oh, uh, Taylor Lautner. There you go. Yeah, I don't even know what the fuck happened to that guy. Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, what do we think about Pattinson playing Batman? Um, <laughs> we had this conversation slightly earlier in another episode, but like, I think that there is possibility of it being good because Matt Reeves uh, is a... All right, hang on, hang on, hang on. Just just stop for a second. The only reason that I think it might be decent, I'm not saying it's going to be great, but like the only reason I think it might be decent is that Matt Reeves is a great director, and what he did with the second and the third Planet of the Apes movies is fucking fantastic. So I'm like, you know, those are really, really great movies, and I could see this being pretty decent, but like overall, like Pattinson doesn't do it for me because he's like skinny and like kind of whatever, but he's proven himself to be like a really, really fantastic actor so i'm out (laughs) (laughs) well i mean obviously you have a different opinion because you fucking hate robert pattinson apparently i I do yeah i kind (laughs) of is it because is it because of twilight Uh, it's you know know, my wife should love me <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't buy it. I mean, I don't, I don't buy him as Batman either. But like, you know, The Lighthouse no. was one of my favorite movies from last year. So there's something. This is the skin of a killer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's. Uh... The Twilight Twilight series is literally the Jason Bourne series for women. You know, if I if I'm flipping around on TV and Jason Bourne is one, I have to legally stop and watch it, and I will do it so willingly, even though I've watched every one of those movies fifty times. My wife the would last, be with with Twilight. The 2016 Jason Bourne fucking sucked, though. I hated that movie with Alicia Vikander. That movie was a waste of time. Yeah. But anyway, to this movie real quick. Starting this movie off with the uh, with the time lapse clouds, I got a real problem with that because it's sets up a very different movie i know that there's like shades of gray in the clouds and shit like that and maybe that's what they were going for but it just kept i mean maybe it's because we did the happening but it reminded me of the happening and i was just like god damn it like can we stop with the fucking time-lapse clouds it's supposed to be like atmospheric or something it's, so, it's definitely not erotic so you both have read the book I uh, kind of laughed at how tame this movie was because it has yeah. this big reputation. You know, oh, it's been banned in so many countries or whatever bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, if this is racy to you or risque, <laughs> I mean, what the fuck are you, what are you doing in your life here? Like, <laughs> this is risque to puritanical America, Paul. Right, see? right. So is... Does the book take it further? Or yes, is yes, absolutely. Okay. All right, all absolutely, right, fine, it fine. did. 
There, there is one. There is one sex scene that's not featured in this movie, and it's when they're in the uh, the greenhouse at the end, when they're at his mom's house. That like he walks up to Anastasia and she's on her period, and he yanks her fucking tampon out and throws it on the ground and fucks her in the <laughs> greenhouse. And I'm like, is that is that sexy? <laughs> like, I'm confused. <laughs> anyway, uh, for for being a billionaire, I want to say that this guy has very limited sense of style. I hate to reiterate like what that critic said, but like this guy has terrible sense of style and every car that he drives is not what a billionaire would drive. He's got like an Audi A6 and I'm like, dude, I could afford an A6 and he's fucking driving around in that. Audi uh, probably sponsored this movie. They did. uh, They absolutely did. They absolutely did. Oh yeah, I mean, come on. You know, they they paid to have their cars featured in the movie. You know, House of Cards, everyone drives a Buick. Yeah. Why? What? People actually still drive those? Believe it or not, at, at that time, yeah, and it had a huge impact on the market. With the Italian job in 2003 with Marky Mark, sales of the Mini Cooper like shot up 700%. Yeah, but that whole, that whole movie was was planned to, to coincide with the release of the Mini Cooper. I worked on that yeah, movie. Yeah, I mean, that's some true. Of the, honestly, some of the best stunt driving I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I mean, I and, and it was amazing because they, they rolled up with like 10 duplicates of the, every car they had. And, and I'll, I'll never yeah. forget. Am I allowed to tell stories? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. I'll never forget we were in South Philadelphia and the scene was uh, the red Mini Cooper comes screaming down a cobblestone road, literally locks the brakes up, turns itself 180 degrees and slides into a parking spot laterally. <laughs> and this stunt woman nailed it on the first try. Cracked the axle of the car. But you know what? They were like, oh, well, and they pushed it out and bring another one down the street came another one. And, they, you know, it was amazing. It, yeah. it was actually yeah. really impressive, impressive. Yeah. The stunt, the stunts of that movie was, was to see it in person was amazing. Oh, I don't doubt that. One of the biggest problems that I have with this movie is that the use of music in this movie. And like in one of the first songs that they use is that song. I put a spell on you and I don't understand what it's trying to say. Is the song implying that Gray put a spell on her or him on, or her on him? I think they, she, uh, tries to get her to sign the contract for the whole movie and she never yeah. does. And- then she ends up telling him to go fuck himself. So right, and for yeah. him, like it's all about so empowerment, dude. <laughs> for him, constantly being so hung up on the contract, he constantly looks the other way on it. It doesn't make any sense in the book either. It's like he wants her to sign this contract that way he can diddle her in any way that he wants, but like he doesn't ever get the contract signed, despite him saying that his lawyer like insisted on it. It's like, what the fuck is this? What is this? Like. Is he insisting upon it or is he not? Because he's definitely betraying everything that's happening. And him being a billionaire, she could just like turn around and be like, oh, he's a fucking whack job and like go and yell to the press about all this shit. And he would have no legal recourse because of that. Other than to have her killed like most billionaires do with their mistresses. Let's go back to the fact that this is written by a woman on her sun porch (laughs) in like Ohio with 19 cats walking around. And I mean, this, this is fan fiction. This was written by, I'm not kidding. You. I mean, yeah, this started on the internet. Actually, it was like fan fiction that started it, on the internet. Yeah, I mean, if if my wife is correct, and she usually is, honey, <laughs> um, you know, it was written over the course of a couple months. It was it was posted in in chunks. If I wasn't, if I'm not correct. Yes, you are 100 percent correct. Actually, that is true. Are we allowed to announce that we're on drink two? Yes, you uh, can I, announce whatever drink you're on. I, what are I, you I, drinking? I, I have Uncle Nearest. Which, if you have not enjoyed Uncle Nearest, which sponsors many small podcasts, 
um, it's a great story. If you haven't, if you haven't heard of it, it's a great story. Um, it's uh, a reopening by the grandson of a slave who won his freedom and basically wow. had his distillery formula robbed by Jim Beam. Wow. Yeah. And they re-released it a couple of years ago and it's, it's a fantastic whiskey. Wow. Fucking Uncle America, nearest. man. <laughs> It's a great whiskey, though. Back to this movie real quick. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to talk about how the first time that she meets Christian Grey, right? Like, did she forget how to walk? Like, she just fucking trips over nothing as soon as she comes into his office. Like, did she forget how doors work? Did she forget how to walk? And... <laughs> and another big thing, like, why does she constant? Why are there all these like close-ups of her lips, like sticking the pencil like in her throat? Like, I know the reason why, but I don't like the reason why. Wait, wait, is... I'll, I'll answer that. Thanks, Chris. That is not what I want to envision next time. <laughs> <laughs> From the very get-go, there was all this like talk about who's going to play Christian Grey, and for the longest time, they were trying to get um, Michael Fassbender in order to play him, right? But like having Jamie Dornan play him, I'm like, dude, this guy, in my opinion, is not attractive. He's very weird-looking, and he is a fucking terrible actor. Like half of this movie is like trying to do these like smoldering looks at her, and I'm just like, there's no chemistry between the leads, and it's just you're sitting there like, what the fuck is happening? But like, was it, wasn't he cast just a couple weeks before they? started yes because I mean, he, they were he, he was the backup yeah because they were in negotiations with other actors and other actors were like i don't like the script or i don't like this or i don't like that and they were trying to demand changes and they couldn't do that because of their yeah. production schedule that they wanted and so they ended up running with jamie dornan who was the backup but they were talking really anybody they were talking to the guy from uh, sons of anarchy yes yes uh fucking charlie hunman yeah which i think he's a great actor I, yeah I like he's him. a great actor i love him yeah he's a very very good actor I mean, you have to also remember this is the first time that the bdsm was kind of mainstreamed you know this is the it, it's true i mean it, yeah it's, i mean this was an excuse for suburban housewives to watch content like this i mean yeah and, that explains... and read content like this as well yeah absolutely <laughs> i mean I, I remember the opening weekend of this movie there were watch parties everywhere you yeah. know women i mean you know husbands across the country were now suddenly making chicken nuggets for their kids because it's the first time they fucking make dinner for their fucking kids. I mean, the chicken nugget sales, let's look at those figures. You know, McDonald's returns must yeah, have been yeah. there's There's cross microcosms in the economy for sure. Hey, listen, I study tax incentives across the country for film production. Let's really be honest about this. Fast food made out big on this fucking night. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it at all. But I I really, really don't understand how 90% of this movie, there's like all this branded shit around him, right? Like he everything is about like gray enterprises and whatnot. But like what kind of fucking CEO has branded pencils? Like pencils, not pens, pencils. Just in case she breaks the tip of it and there can be Once this like you, little uh, tense guy moment. guy at the lighthouse who would have that for sure. <laughs> like this whole thing reminds me of what being in a relationship with Trump must be like. Like you got to sign the non-disclosure agreement right off the bat oh jesus there's the contract the sex contract or whatever i don't doubt that yeah you know what actually imagine the day that you sign a sex contract with trump (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't want to imagine that day that sounds horrible (laughs) get into the tanning bed gabe 
<laughs> you actually you you brought up a you brought a thing earlier, Chris, that actually reminded me I didn't put a disclaimer in this episode because I really want to put across there that this movie and this book does not represent the BDSM community like at all. Who the fuck is this? <laughs> That's my sister somehow joining. Oh. <laughs> Hey, the, the more the merrier. <laughs> but like I said, this this movie and this book do not represent the BDSM community. This movie and the book features a very mentally abusive fucking relationship that is not indicative of the BDSM community. And that's what I find really, really fucking reprehensible about this movie beyond the fact with the way that they treat women in this film is that it is not indicative of that. It's like E.L. James read a Wikipedia article on BDSM and then decided that she was going to write about it. But these people, these people have such ridiculous porn names like Anastasia Steele and Christian Grey. Like, it's awful. By the way, my porn name is Rod Steele if I ever do become a porn star because that would be what I would want it to be. But besides the fact... Mine is Pablo Picasso. Yes. Oh, that's That's good. That's also your bowling name. (laughs) Wait, how do you do the BDSM name i don't know that one. Oh no 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 mine's just my porn name rod Steele. so i don't have <laughs> oh, well how do you name. do your porn name uh well the way that you're supposed to do your porn name is like you're one of the names is supposed to be the name of the street that you grew up on and i can't remember what the first name is supposed to be i think it's like the name of your last dog i don't remember there is like an actual rule how you're supposed to come up with your porn name yeah i didn't have a street growing up uh, no. <laughs> it's just whatever whatever comes up in your mind and the neon light that just shows you the name and it can't contain it because it just explodes. Power yeah, of the like Dick Trickle. Like Dirk Diggler, yeah. Dirk, Dirk Diggler is like the best porn name ever. I wish that that was a real porn name. Besides the fact, this movie has so much info dumping throughout it. Like the interview when they're talking, he says, she says, this interview is for special graduation edition of the student newspaper. And he says, I know, I'm giving the commencement speech. And I'm like, who the fuck talks like this? Like this isn't how real people talk. Like this is just info dumping for people to have like some sort of context as they move on yeah. through this movie no it's funny the, the exposition goes on through i'd say three quarters of the movie trying to explain some you know <laughs> bullshit relationship and everything like that it's just like half of the the dialogue is just exposition right i, I will give a shout out to this movie and if you look at the scene <laughs> playing behind you they have not done one pillow chop yet and i have a huge oh huge thing i've been on thousands of sets and you set the pillow up on the couch correctly and then you karate chop it right down the center so it has the perfect kind of dimple i have not seen one pillow that's been karate chopped and for that you got my vote look does that mean none look none does that mean does that mean good set dressing or does that mean bad set dressing that means good set dressing i'm all about these guys are mavericks they're absolutely mavericks. <laughs> the whole you know? set dressing world was shaken up by this movie. It was. It was. <laughs> I love they're using the House of Cards little text bubble, too. Yeah. I mean, this was... what? When was House of Cards? Because this was 2015, this, and I want to say House of Cards not, was 2013. Not that I know anything about the timeline of this, the, the shooting of this movie in terms of House of Cards, and I will not... I will have to talk to my lawyer first before I would say anything about that. Uh, but this was shot directly after season two of House of Cards. All right. Well, 
that makes sense in terms of stylistic. But I mean, trying to trying to function like their whole like power play back and forth through email <laughs> bubbles on the screen. It's like it completely drains any sort of like real sexual tension out of it because it's like entirely done through these fucking stupid bubbles. It's like and they don't have any fucking sexual chemistry as it is. So you're just sitting there like, oh my god. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the sexual tension is literally like trying like casting my male woman and the male man that delivers on the other side of the neighborhood. There's zero. It's like love on the truck. I mean, I, I, and what's with the overalls? I don't Not know. sexy. I know. <laughs> Not sexy. Whatever. Yeah, but I mean, Paul, See, like, no throughout... polo chops. <laughs> But Paul, throughout like half of this movie, it's like fucking raining. Like I know that doesn't Seattle have like 320 like rainy days a year, cloudy days a year or something like that. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, in the winter, it rains a lot. You're lucky to see the sun. I mean, last year in January, there was no sunlight like the whole month. So there you go. That's that's Seattle. <laughs> so Paul, I got a question. I mean, in, in Saudi Arabia, everyone gets a check from the oil companies every month. Do you guys get a check from Starbucks every month? No, man. Uh, Seattle is all about people keeping their money uh, from their, their corporations there. We got, we got the uh, Bill Gateses and the Jeff Bezoses and the Starbucks and everything. No one gets any of that money. Shame. Deep state. Deep. <laughs> Wait, was she just searching submissive? Yeah. yeah, and actually, if you Google image search submissive, it does come up with actual, like, S&M submissive stuff first. Wait, the, he's looking at his email. He literally has three emails in his entire <laughs> Apple email. That's just bad prop work, Chris. You know that. <laughs> yeah, that is bad prop work. Set treasures, I love you. Prop guys prop, no. suck. Yeah, they suck. Oh, the whole drapey scene behind you though is nice. The light is yeah. gorgeous. It's you know, we're we're going for <laughs> this, oh, but is, then this is he just ruins it. Yeah. I mean, every time he walks in, the whole scene is like, ew. <laughs> comes off creepy. very creepy yeah exactly yeah but earlier in the movie like the reason that anastasia meets christian is that her roommate is too sick to go to the interview right but like when she gets back to the apartment after this interview kate is looking really well at the at the laptop when she's reading christian's email and like talking to anastasia about it and it's night by the way like how fucking long is this interview like she leaves during the morning and she comes back and it's night but besides the fact anastasia's way out of being grilled by her friend kate is that she says that she wants a fucking sandwich right but this leads me to my sandwich beef of the week oh, all right because no. i, I want to get to my sandwich beef of the week <laughs> oh jesus So there is a deli near Brownsville Community Center in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, right? I voted early this year, as did almost 90 million people by the time that I cast my vote on October 24th of this absolute horror show of a year. But anyway, walking into a halal deli can always be an adventure. But on this particular day, my wife and I were standing in a line that stretched nearly three blocks just to vote, right? After freezing for almost 90 minutes on the curb at 8 a.m. in the morning, I decided it was too early for the cold, the noise, and the bullshit that had accumulated into blind burning rage at the way that this country had been systematically driven into the ground by a reality TV star who thought being president might be another way of him propagating his worthless name. The only solution for my anger, as both of you know, is food. So I wandered to the deli as my wife stayed in line, and I walked into two men yelling at each other in what sounded like Africanus. I can't be sure as I do not understand 
understand this language. Add the volume and possible COVID spit flying to the list of bullshit piling up this Saturday morning, and I walked up to the grill man staring at these men fighting as the cashier just scrolled Instagram. I yell out louder than both of the men, two turkey, bacon, egg, and cheese on rolls, hot sauce, salt, pepper. And I stood near the juice and watched eagerly to see these two men yelling resolve their differences. There are definite do's and don'ts about turkey bacon, and this day yielded an overwhelming don't on what I was about to experience as I received my sandwiches and ran out the door to get away from the volume. I find my wife in line and hand her a sandwich. I bite into mine and I'm greeted with a piece of turkey bacon. So fucking burnt, it's black and crumbles like ash gathering at the edge of a Marlboro cigarette. Needless to say, this was disgusting and the slight that I had received on this day brought an entire year's <laughs> worth of shit to a head. To the grill man at the corner of Livonia Avenue and Rockaway Avenue. Eat a bucket of shit, you goddamn asshole. The one thing I needed on voting day and the one thing that you're supposed to know how to do and you fucked it up. Go fuck yourself, you fucking child. Anyway, going back to this movie. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, I like living in Washington because we get our ballots in the mail like three weeks <laughs> before election day and you have right. three weeks to put it in the mailbox or take it to a special ballot box. So easy. You don't have to do <laughs> shit. You don't have to wait with your dick in your hand for four no, hours. No, no, Paul, you're, you're a fucking socialist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll you know, like maternity leave. When long. you type in Pornhub, does AOC come up? <laughs> Come on. You know, I never tried that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But I mean, I wanted to do that, Paul, but the fucking like system itself in New York with the USPS, like fucking completely shut down before early voting. I got my ballot because I requested the early voting ballot months ahead of the election. And I got it three weeks after the election. Oh, no shit. And I was like, wow, this is uh, really terrible on the post office part. Good job, guys. Good job. <laughs> hey, their hands were tied. You can just thank fucking, uh, what's his name? Trump support appointee, who is the postmaster general. LaJoy. LaJoy, that's his name. Yeah, or yeah. DaJoy. DaJoy, LaJoy. Besides the fact, fuck you. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> I will say this, you know, this, this whole year and this whole past four years, we've become all politically so awakened. And I had the proudest moment as a daddy today. I commissioned a piece of artwork. My daughter is going to get an illustration of, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg for Christmas. Nice. Oh, sweet. All right. That's cool. I mean, it, that's amazing. The best gift I ever bought. Jump ahead real quick because I'm going to get bogged down here for a second. She's sitting in class, obviously thinking of Kristen, and she pushes the eraser end of her gray pencil into her bottom lip again at a very lengthy slow motion close-up, like pure exploitation. And that's what this movie is. It's an exploitation movie. That's sexy, Gabe. That's so sexy. <laughs> she just bites her lip constantly. But dude, they walk, they walk down the street, and he snatches her away from an oncoming bike, right? And this is 
is supposed to be the moment that things really start to gel with her near the beginning of the movie. And she fucking swoons like she just came in her pants. Like, just, <laughs> wow, what the fuck? Just because he took her out of the way of an oncoming bicycle? But this actually leads me to a real-life story. I don't know if you know about this, Chris, is that Ryan Gosling was in town in New York making a movie. And apparently there was this woman who was in the middle of Manhattan near Midtown, and she stepped off of a curb not looking as this fucking taxi was turning. And who is there in order to snatch this woman and save her life, literally, is fucking Ryan Gosling happened to be on the corner and grab this woman and pull her out of the way, right? Mm -hmm. So this this news goes viral, and it's on, like, the daily newspapers and whatnot that Ryan Gosling saved this woman's life. So over the course of the next month, women were getting hit at an alarming rate in Midtown, <laughs> hoping that fucking Ryan Gosling would snatch them off of the curb and they would be able to fall in love. I was just like, what the fuck? What the fuck is happening in the world, man? But anyway, I want to jump ahead real quick to when she gets her first additions and she claims that she can't accept them, right? But his note to her implies she is to blame for his attraction to her, right? This is called gaslighting, people, especially after saying he couldn't do this relationship after she reveals that she is a romantic. And then he sends her this gift as a way of obligating her affection and fucking with her. Like, this is extremely psychosexually manipulative and dangerous. I just want to put that out there to anybody that's listening. This is not how a man is supposed to treat you please do not fucking walk down the aisle with a man like this as anastasia Steele does at the end of this fucking trilogy but i did read the second book and i'll be honest i don't remember a thing about it <laughs> i remember nothing about it but I, I you know the last job i want in the world is the hr director in this guy's fucking company <laughs> i mean literally talk about complicit fuck that i mean literally the last job in the world i want is to be the subpoenaed motherfucker <laughs> that goes up and has to testify in this fucking trial because yeah, yeah. this doesn't end well. <laughs> I mean, in the book, it ended well. They got married and shit, but like, there's no prenup signed as far as they know at the end of the book. So, you know. All right, Ivanka. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a maybe there's a fucking Jeff Bezos situation happening here. Maybe Jeff Bezos is actually, don't sue me, Jeff, but maybe Jeff Bezos is a fucking like Christian uh, Gray type person. Yeah, you never know. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. Full character's modeled off him. You're bringing up a really interesting point. Social media was basically pretty young at the point of this movie. Movie. Imagine if this movie had been made now. How would it I mean, have changed? I mean, no. I don't think it would have had the box office potential that it did. No, but the whole TikTok factor would have changed this completely. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, she would have been yeah. on TikTok the first time he said, you know, I want to abuse you. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> I want to punish you. Yeah. You know, extremely I mean, awkward in this movie. Every time that he's supposed to have this like really sexy, like take charge moment is every time that he delivers that line, like his line where he says, like, I don't make love. I fuck. It's so poorly delivered that I'm just like, <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> yeah, he's they got actually some gems in there. Hollywood actually made a bad porno movie. I mean, he's literally like a piece of Ikea furniture in this cast. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this he's is... the floor drink. <laughs> this, uh, the acting in this movie is almost worse than Peter Stormare's fake porno movie in The Big Lebowski, where he like comes in and he's like, I'm here to fix Dinah Cabo. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm going to be honest. I had never seen this movie. And <laughs> when I talked to you today, you said, you know, you might want to breeze through it. So in preparation for this, I watched uh, clips of this movie in German. Because my <laughs> wife and I talked about it. And we said, what's the unsexiest language in the English German. In the world? Yeah. 
and we, we decided on German. So I watched probably 30 clips of this movie in German. And uh, it, it, it helped immensely. Let's be honest. <laughs> There was there was no overdubbing that said Essen mein Scheiser, right? <laughs> anyway. What the fuck dude, is going on behind us? I, I forget the scene. This is him doing his... Look at this motherfucker. This creepy Muppet-looking piece of shit right here. But anyway, he is doing his uh, his commencement speech at Anastasia Steele's graduation. Oh, I forgot about this. He's saying how important it is that he wants to help out, like, in Africa, because, like, he knows at one time in his life the profound hunger of being poor. And in the fucking story, he talks about how he was adopted when he was four. But, like, she's rich when she adopts him. I'm like, who the fuck... I mean, maybe this is just me, but who the fuck remembers anything before they're, like, five or four anyway? Like, if he's three, he didn't profoundly suffer, you know what I mean? And then he says that his mom was, like, a crack addict and that he has all these cigarette burns all over his chest and I'm like yeah she put out cigarettes on him yeah but I'm like you look at his cigarette burns and it's bad makeup work by the way because like if somebody is burned as a child by anything their wounds scar very differently by the time that they're an adult and so like these cigarette burns are like perfectly shaped and like perfectly accentuated as if somebody I don't know put a fucking latex appliance on somebody's chest in order to make a fucking cigarette burn but besides it's the like point, the most annoying cop out of the script is that <laughs> someone who's into S&M has to have this horrible childhood trauma yeah. And it's denigrating toward people in S and M, dude. It's like, he has to have this horrible trauma, and then he's like supposedly like taken advantage of when he's fifteen by one of his mother's friends, which is like you know rape, obviously. And like this is what I really don't understand about this whole S and M thing is not only are they being denigrating that like S and M is a product of fucked up shit happening to you, meaning that he was raped by this woman and that he had cigarettes put out on him when he was a kid, and that he was like the child of a crack addict, is that by the time that they get to that conversation he says that he was somebody's sub at one time that woman's sub and now he's a dom and i'm like okay so being a switch does happen but like being a switch this much is not the way it fucking goes if you were like raised up oh, you, as you, sub, you, you gotta read this second book that the whole thing <laughs> is explained in the second book i do remember oh, that part okay well <laughs> and, and by the, the way on a side note that was some of the worst interior green screen car work i've ever seen yeah, I that's mean, one of my notes too. It's fucking uh, awful. Yeah, I got a bitch. Terrible. <laughs> I got a bitch. They keep using this establishing shot where they show a car driving on the I ninety to I five on ramp when it's inferred that they're coming from the south. She wouldn't be driving on that on ramp, but they use it twice in the movie and it pisses me off because the geography is all wrong. Mad love for you, Paul. <laughs> So I'm not going to date myself, but uh, long before Mystery Science Theater 2000, Penn and Teller used to have this Saturday Night Movie Club where right. they would have a bu bunch of their fans meet up with them in a physical movie. Remember that, you know, pre-COVID? Yeah. Oh. And they would, they would they would watch a movie together, and they would they, they were intentionally bad movies, and they would all scream out certain phrases. But anytime you saw a skyline, any skyline, they would all go, "Ooh, Chicago!" So every time I see a skyline, I can't stop but thinking of that of you know Penn Gillette saying, "Ooh." <laughs> what, the fuck, what the fuck happened to them man i haven't heard penn and teller's name in like 10 years um, no they're, they're on vegas they have a great show in vegas it's extremely oh. successful 
Um, I, he, he does a great podcast called Penn Sunday School, huh. and he's a devout atheist. <laughs> no doubt. No yeah. doubt. <laughs> um, but it's it's a really interesting podcast, actually. I have to check that out. God, that guy I, is awful. What? Like, the guy in this movie? Me, yeah, I mean, whatever his name is. Yeah, Jamie Dornan, yeah. It's just awful. <laughs> I mean, not even hearing the dialogue, it's just... Real quick, I want to talk about this scene early in the movie. Like, she goes out and she gets drunk, and he somehow tracks her down at a bar. And this leads into a very creepy side storyline of that he constantly knows where she is somehow, even though she has a fucking flip phone that's not, like, broadcasting her GPS. But anyway, I don't want to talk about that, but I want to talk about how, like, he goes and he picks her up at this bar when she's really drunk, and, like, he takes her to a hotel, and she wakes up the next day, and she takes the aspirin that's next to her bed... And he asks her how she feels and she replies, better than I deserve. Like, this tells me everything that I know about how the writers feel toward the woman. They fucking hate her. This brings me up to a better question, which is about consent, okay? I was asking my wife about this and I was like, Christian reveals in the scene that he slept next to her and undressed her because her clothes were covered in vomit, right? Is this sexual assault? Because I feel that since she's drunk and she doesn't know what's happening, he takes her to a hotel room, puts her in a bed, takes her fucking clothes off washes her off and then dresses her and puts her to bed and sleeps next to her this feels like sexual assault i, I, would, I have no knowledge of that <laughs> sounds I mean, like sexual assault i mean she <laughs> i mean it's very invasive yeah. obviously she didn't agree to any of this shit and he just took her out of there and did what he wanted with her when she was fucking drunk which to me says sexual yeah. assault because there was no consent there i'm gonna go along the lines of I have no right to answer that question. Yeah. You know, but from, from the outsider standpoint, yes. But I'm going to go along the lines with I have no right to answer that question. I mean, you put a, a build a court case. She called you from a phone. She didn't tell you where she was. You managed to track her down. You went to where she was. You took her away from her friends to yeah. a hotel room and you undressed her. Uh, it sounds pretty bad from a <laughs> <It does. laughs> court Sounds really bad. But I dude, wouldn't so, want to be a witness in that. No, I wouldn't either. <laughs> but I, I want to skip ahead real quick to when Ooh, they sit. Chicago. <laughs> Before the first sex scene, okay? Like, they sit by the window and she reveals that she is a virgin, right? This is exploitative uh, as shit. Like, fetishization of the virginal Madonna, the abusive nature of his dominance, and his right to her body is kind of hard to break down in that this is stacks of sexual dysfunction balled up into one little moment. But for being a dominant, he is being really gentle with her for her first time and very romantic, which is totally against his character, but somehow all of a sudden he goes from being this self-admitted 50 shades of fucked up to like this like fucking 16 candles type sex scene which is fucking bizarre to me when is she said she was a virgin i just laughed out loud because she's <laughs> supposed to be graduating college and i'm like really really you're a virgin give me a i mean <laughs> give me a I mean, there's a time and a place for everything, any kids that are listening, and it's called college. Do everything that you fucking want when you're in college because that is your time to do it. But no sexual assault. I just want to be clear. But <laughs> my, my disclaimer to this movie is to anyone watching this is immediately go out, go on Netflix and watch Nanette. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, Nanette that's... That, that just... You gotta see it, Paul. I can't believe I haven't brought it up to you. My, my wife, my wife, I showed it to my wife shortly after you had told me about it, Chris, and she liked it so much that she watched watched it again with her sister and then she made her other sisters watch it because yeah. of the way that woman that woman is a fucking brilliant brilliant fucking writer like well she's a brilliant writer but she's an amazing times 50 
storyteller. I mean, she absolutely yeah. tells the story so brilliantly. What is her name? Uh, Gatsby. Hannah. Hannah. Yeah, Ga- Hannah Hannah. Gatsby. Yeah. Yeah. And she just came out with this with a, the second Netflix special. Which the second is, one's good too. Yeah, I like. Oh, the it's amazing. One. The references to art history. <laughs> Honestly, I I would remove myself from being involved in this podcast if she was willing to step in because that's <laughs> the perspective you'd want to hear here. Yes, absolutely. If you didn't know, actually, Chris has a master's in uh, painting. Is that right, Chris? Yeah. But that's that's part of it. Is that she goes into this art history thing, and it's like her arguments based on art history and like the history of men and like history in general in terms of like male perspective is really fucking interesting you got to check it out paul it's called the net it's on netflix oh, yeah, and her yeah. new one her new one's called douglas which i didn't actually know what the pouch of douglas is <laughs> before i saw that comedy special so if you don't know what the pouch of douglas is educate yourself before you go on that because i didn't know what it was <laughs> but besides fact but uh, yes paul you have a pouch of douglas <laughs> you do have a pouch of douglas <laughs> you just don't know where it is yet <laughs> I want to jump ahead real quick to his mom showing up at his apartment, right? Like his mom barges in because of course she does, but she's controlling, indifferent, and stuck up, right? His mom's middle name is Trevelyan, which I didn't know. I I was like, really? Like that's a middle name? I had to Google it. That name Trevelyan is the last name of Sean Bean's bad guy in the GoldenEye movie with Pierce Brosnan. So that's something, I guess. (laughs) But mom comes over simply to ask her son to lunch, but Christian says, he has to drive Anna home like that's gonna take up your whole schedule for the day like you don't even drive fuckhead like and your mom knows that and she's just gonna take this kind of goddamn disrespect from you because he's in the fucking chopper already I mean he's got a fucking (laughs) helicopter just fucking I I fucking hate her out of here I fucking hate how this movie, the most important things in their relationship are all predicated upon the fact that this man has a lot of money. Like taking her up in the plane or taking her on the fucking glider or any of that other shit. I was just like, if this guy was a fucking busboy at Red Robin, like would this work? Like his fucking antics and the way that he treats her? Probably not. And this is a lot about what this movie's trying to say about perspective is that this kind of behavior is okay if the guy's a billionaire, but if this guy was a fucking like oil guy that like changed your oil at fucking Midas, would you expect this kind of behavior from him and would you fucking accept that kind of behavior from him? Probably not. You know what I mean? I'll go, but like I'll go a step further. What if this was any of Dave Chappelle's characters? Absolutely. I mean, the white male complex definitely takes a big fucking part in this. That's a great point. If this was a black guy doing this, heaven forbid, man. Like, everybody would be up in arms about this movie. There would be fucking people protesting. There would be fucking patriots showing up at their fucking, like, Congress with guns and saying that this is obscene. You're absolutely correct, Chris. It's a, it's a good point. Although but, it would have been funny to see Dave Chappelle cast in this movie. Oh, yeah. I would <laughs> <laughs> I would have gone to opening day. I, I would have paid for that. Yeah, I would have paid for that. <laughs> but I, this leads me to my hack attack number one, okay? Her web browser looking at submissive. It's a flat gray page and no address in the address bar. This is fucking shitty prop work. It looks like shit. There's no address in the address bar. It's like a 90s web search. I'm sorry. I know that prop work is hard and like like breaking down the script in terms of how many props you have to put together and shit like that. It's hard, but it's not that hard for you to fucking do a little bit of like art design in order to make like a fake browser or something like that in order to not make it look like a 90s fucking web browser. (laughs) 
<laughs> one thing that I thought was kind of disgusting in this movie is that when he goes and he fucks her in her apartment, right? Like he baby birds some white wine into her mouth. Like this is supposed to be so romantic and kinky, but I'm like, dude, that whole scene about him coming over and like baby birding the wine in her mouth and blindfolding her and tying her to the bed and dragging like the ice cube all over her body. Again, this is so fucking pedestrian in terms of BDSM. Like <laughs> I remember I remember that I saw this movie and I was arguing with a friend of mine who's female who liked the book and liked the movie and I was just like this whole movie this is like what I do on like a fucking Tuesday night like this isn't real shit like if the worst thing that he could do to her is like tie her to a fucking table and spank her six times that's not really hardcore you know what I mean that, yeah that made me laugh because he's supposed to have been into this BDSM stuff since he was 15 and she tells him to come up with the worst thing that he yeah. could do to her. And worst giving, her thing an, giving him an open of. invitation, yeah. <laughs> the worst thing that he can think of is bending over and spanking her. Like, yeah. what the especially, fuck? Especially... Has he not seen a Takashi Miike movie? Come on, he's got to have <laughs> I did that to the fucking Amazon girl that delivered my... <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that, that was, that's like a hello <laughs> nowadays. How are you? Bend over. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like in, in one of the previous scenes, they're talking about the contract and in the contract, it says like hard stops, right? In that hard stop clause, there's like anal fisting and like vaginal fisting and genital clamps. And like she doesn't sign this contract. She just says, no, remove it. But then she tells him to do the worst that he can do, like you said, Paul, and like none of this comes out. I'm like, he has anal fisting in the contract. Like that's pretty <laughs> fucking like over the top. And like he just spanks her a little bit. Like, come on. So I'm gonna go back to the writing. I mean, the, the writing is is very uneducated in terms of this community. And yeah. I have several friends that are three, four decades into this community. Yeah. And at some point, someone had control or someone advised the writer that had knowledge of this community because there's a great disparaging area between what the writer knew and what the people in this community actually do. Yeah. And contracts are very serious. They take that stuff very seriously. Yeah. So, I mean, I hate to call Hollywood bullshit, but this is kind of Hollywood <laughs> bullshit. You know, I mean, they, there's a, a very basic amount of research that wasn't taken into account or like at least there, there's a lot, there's a lot of 50 shades of gray in between the reality <laughs> And the honesty of what this presents. I mean, the contract is a very serious thing. She wouldn't be able to have her bullshit movie and her bullshit book without actually glazing over the real life details. She just oh, it glazed, it like, glazed over so much. I mean, it glazed she just over wanted something that was like salacious in order for them to make the movie and like her to have that hook. But you got to go back. To, you got to go back to how this was written. This was written over over a year or two, if I was mistaken. I mean, this yeah. was fan fiction. She yeah. dumped a couple chapters, you know, every few months. Yeah. And, you know, at some point, obviously, the popularity of this thing caught up and someone consulted with her and said, whoa, pump the brakes. You know, <laughs> this is how we really do it. I don't fucking get that, man. I'm just I don't get how something like this got this far. Like, how the fuck did this happen? Is there is there enough stupidity in the world that people can, like, grab onto this in order to give one? Never mind. I answered my own question. You're saying that in 2020. <laughs> really? That statement you're saying that in 2020? I, I realized what I was saying as I was sailing, saying it. When, and I'll back when you edit this together, please flash a picture of Rudy Giuliani up in the corner. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
fucking unbelievable. I, I want to bring up their use of condoms in this movie, right? Like they do the first couple sexual experiences with condoms, but in no way did they bring up the importance of testing or safe sex in the contract. But when she is on birth control, all of a sudden he's giddy, implying he won't have to use a condom. Like stop peddling this dangerous shit. I know it's something that it's not sexy by most standards, but guess what? Safe and consensual sex is sexy, you daft cunts. That's just the fucking truth of the matter. But does he always carry around the key to his playroom? That's something that recurs in this movie constantly. He always happens to have it like in his pocket every time that there's something to do with the playroom. On top of the fact that the playroom has all this fucking like toys and fucking like apparatuses and shit. Keep all my keys in my pocket, Gabe. I don't know where you keep your keys, but... Your playroom? You keep your playroom keys in your pocket? Fortunately, I don't have a playroom. I'm not that that wealthy. I have a playroom. (laughs) (laughs) behind you, actually. I I did notice that, you know, know, his playroom key was not on a ring. It was a singular key. Yeah, you, know, you got to keep yeah. track of that thing. You know? <laughs> no, you don't, next, you don't right want it. Right next to the, the condom in the wallet. <laughs> <laughs> you want the cleaning lady Ooh, finding Ooh, Chicago. That <laughs> this is like a big thing, though, in the movie is uh, that pissed me off is that he has all the, they do this big thing about like circling around the room and passing past all of his toys and shit. But like the most that he does is like clip her to the ceiling on the drop down ceiling and like fuck her and like have a little crop and then like the, the ass paddle. And I was just like, what about all the other toys? Like he's got fucking toys everywhere and he never uses any of these fucking things. It's all this like set design in order to make it feel salacious, but it's not actually like going to be used in, in the actual scene. I'm like maybe this is like their way of like somehow avoiding an NC-17 rating or something like that, but I really don't know. No, this was a perfect example of get the movie out before the public is actually knowledgeable about the situation. (laughs) Get the movie out, release it. We're going to make a hundred plus million dollars on opening weekends. Get the movie fucking made. This is a (laughs) prime example. I mean, yeah. listen, I, I think this movie is, is, is a good example to do this with, but the second movie is actually probably the better example because now <laughs> the public's wise to it. You know, now yeah. their Pornhub has, you know, 5 billion subscribers, <laughs> you know, and we're a little more educated on all this stuff. Right. Yeah, this movie was a race against time. It was a race, <laughs> it was a race get it out there. You have white <laughs> suburban voters that need to have watch parties. Have at it. I mean, that's. I'm, I'm, I mean, this I'm, this sort of brings up another movie in my mind right now. Is that uh, talking about this whole S and M thing? Is that movie Secretary with uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal and uh, David uh, James Sp- James Spader? Yeah, James, yeah, James Spader. Spader. That was a great movie. Yeah, it's a much better movie, and it's more indicative of, like, BDSM culture, but it's also, like, so much more salacious because of the way that they shoot that movie in comparison but the bri- to this shit. the brilliant part about that is it never explains itself. Yeah, yeah. It, you, <laughs> you, have to, you have to accept the movie for what it is. Yeah. And, and that's probably why it didn't have a widespread success, success is yeah. it didn't explain itself. Yeah. And, you know, for me, as an artist, I think that's really great. And, and yeah. you know, I mean, kudos to, you know, James and Matt. Maggie for doing that movie but it's yeah. it's a really you know it, this movie would have loved to have been what that movie was yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. I want to bring up the the scene that's playing right behind me right now because this is one of the creepiest and most psychologically manipulative scenes in the fucking movie. All right, so any female listeners out there, watch this scene when Christian Grey finds her drinking with her mom in Atlanta. Not only did she leave him and say that she was going to Atlanta without him, he flew all the way out in order to find her, finds her at a bar with her mom, and takes her mom out of the equation. That way he can fucking bogart Anastasia <laughs> as if she's his fucking property. If any guy ever does any sort of shit like this to you, that is fucking abuse. That's not romantic. That's not anything else. That is manipulative, controlling behavior. Do not fucking normalize this shit with movies like this. This is one of my biggest problems with this movie is that he fucking constantly does this and this is not normal. They shouldn't have made money off of this. This is fucking detestable. Real quick, I just want to bring this up in order to shit on another filmmaker, but Frank Sinatra in one of the scenes after they have sex is that he's singing the lyrics, when you arise the need in me my heart says yes indeed in me proceed with what you're leading me into right it is the most obvious use of music since Watchmen editing the end sequence to all along the watchtowers they're flying toward Ozymandias I'm like dude fuck you Zack Snyder and fuck you Fifty Shades of Grey I just gotta say Zack Snyder is one of my most hated filmmakers if you haven't gathered that Batman versus Superman is one of the fucking worst travesties I've ever seen in my life you gonna you gonna Amen. see the Snyder cut Gabe I am I'm gonna see the Snyder cut. I am gonna waste four <laughs> hours of my life and fucking watch that. I knew it. Just because I have to fucking see what his version not it's Justice League though, not Batman versus Superman. What's with that fucking see. shirt? Oh, this is a glider scene. Oh, I forgot about this scene. Yes. <laughs> yes, the glider scene. I mean, what part of gaslighting does this play into? <laughs> I, I I my head is is hurting. It's just like <laughs> Now we're going there's, to open a plane with no engine. You yeah. know, it's like, there's there's mean, all these moments where like her safety is like literally in his hands and like she's viewing this as like erotic or interesting or whatever. And I'm like, no, no, this is dangerous. Like, stop yeah. fucking trusting people. Stop trusting men like this. What the hell does this company do anyway? He's a billionaire that's like 27. What the fuck does this <laughs> company do? They never explain that. I can never figure out what the company is. They never explain it in the book either. He's just a billionaire and he's, he's got not, like a He's non profit. Non profit. Fucking fantastic. Unbelievable. This scene is. I, I remember this in the book. It, it was disturbing <laughs> in the book. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's even there's, more disturbing behind your head. <laughs> there's, there's a lot in the book that's disturbing, but I want to jump a little bit further along because I want to jump to the scene that we've been talking about her getting the worst of the worst, right? Like he ties her down and belts her ass six times pretty hard but he asks her to count with him as he's belting her ass. If this is supposed to be the guy that's supposed to be the poster child of this kind of behavior, this isn't very interesting. You know what I mean? Like, I've spanked women's asses with a paddle before. That doesn't make me fucking Christian Grey. You know, I've had a writing crowd before. That doesn't make me Christian Grey. I've done way worse shit that's in this movie, but all of a sudden, like, now I'm the kinkier one than this guy that's supposed to be, like, the fucking end all of, like, fucking... It's throwing you a bone because it's setting the bar are pretty low so it's allowing you to get a little more creative you know like they, what chris was saying is that like <laughs> middle country voters could do this kind of shit and feel okay about it well yeah yeah i mean this this is just a giant excuse i mean <laughs> this movie is a gateway drug this yeah. movie is weed 
you know. In fact, it's it's not even weed. This movie is literally CBD CBDC cream. I mean, it, it's like you know, this this just makes the arthritis feel better. Yeah. But but she she oh, reveals. Chicago. <laughs> but Sorry. okay, so Paul, there's a note. There's a note that I wrote. And when they fly back in, I think it was that last shot, actually. They fly back into Seattle. Fucking Mount Rainier is way too close to the fucking airport. Like, that wide shot. I'm like, dude, the airport... It's actually... I mean, if they used a long lens on that shot, Mount Rainier is pretty dominant, like, in the skyline uh, on a clear day. But that's, that's, not, lens, then... that's not the airport, though. That's very obviously a really bad green screen shot. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> they don't know where Mount Rainier is in relation to the airport, which I think is fucking awful. I'm like, just take any Google image search or just Google it for Christ's sake to show how far away Mount Rainier is. But like, I mean, it's far, but being... it's uh, dangerously large. And it's a constant yeah. reminder of how death is awaiting everyone in the Puget <laughs> Sound region. Like, <laughs> every time you see it, I'm like, God damn, that's a big ass mountain. <laughs> That's gonna kill us. Yeah. One day. Hopefully, one day. I will have sold my house for a large profit by then and live somewhere else. But I, I keep I keep thinking back, you know, watching her. I watched Peanut Butter Falcon, and yeah. I actually like. Yeah. Um, the end was a little hokey, but I don't know. I just how did she go from this to that? I don't know. I don't know how this move. These movies didn't kill her career. Like I really don't know. Well, has she done anything since then? Uh, she's done a lot. I mean, she did after this movie. She did um, Black Mass with Johnny Depp, which was like you know a completely non-sexual role and like sort of an up-and-coming director. And that Scott Cooper had just won Jeff Bridges an Oscar for uh, Crazy Heart. Shout out New Mexico Film again. But he did a uh, Black Mass with Johnny Depp, and Johnny Depp is doing his. Wait, fucking, I'm gonna like, cut you off. First of all, I'm watching his not work. It's shit. It's shit. Yes, I know. I fucking my wife when we we're she rewatched this movie with me, and I'm sitting there and I'm. I'm watching it and i'm just like his not work is fucking terrible like i don't know uh, I'm who advised who advised <laughs> I, I know a lot of knots you do too it's a large portion of what we do for a living yeah. and that not work, not work. Yeah. so uh so in this case he's trying to tie your arms right to these things yeah. what knot would you use on our arms and then what 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 knot would you use to hitch the, the rope to the ring clove hitch clove hitch the ring whatever the i mean she, she's lashed directly to the ring so you gotta go clove hitch oh uh, okay yeah so i mean uh, clove hitching to the ring obviously but in terms of her hands i would use a uh a, what do you call it a, a sheep's the sheep's bend not no sheep shank. You, sheep shank. Oh, sheep you would shank. not use a sheep shank yeah you could because like <laughs> you could be able to release it in the middle by your own power but if she pulled on it it's weight bearing and she's not going to be able to get out all right you're literally like the quack that you know trump passes his <laughs> covid advice right now i'm sorry sheep shank wrong not Wrong well, <laughs> I mean, you could clove hitcher, but you know, you might risk circulation problems if she's like yanking against that shit. What would you use, Chris? What would you use in order to wrap her hands? Obviously, a clove hitch to the ring, but I, not that I have any experience in this arena. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I would, I would go clove hitch because you can you can tie that loosely. Yeah, yeah. If, if you go. I mean, you, clove you could also do. Out. Yeah, you could Ooh, also use a constrictor knot. You could use a no, no, you wouldn't do a constrictor <laughs> knot because every time she moves, it's going to get tighter, and it's just gonna yeah. I mean that tighter. that might get kinky. <laughs> nah, you you do like a floating bowling. Yeah, 
Okay. All right. So let's no. let's move on past the not <laughs> the not nerd thing. Sorry, but... every boy scout watching this just got really hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to jump closer to the end because she reveals that she has fallen in love with him just as it happens to rain and send backlit shadows of falling rain on her bedroom as she lies in the dark because obviousness she's crying and the fucking rain's coming down and like somehow there's like a projection image of fucking raindrops like streaking all over the bedroom again how much does it rain in seattle paul at <laughs> night can you see fucking shadows of rain running down your fucking walls Usually it's more of a drizzle most of the time it's not like uh, that heavy downpour that they portray in the Right. By that point, Paul's just happy because he's cashed. He's he's used his iPhone to cash his Starbucks check, and he's just <laughs> fucking thrilled at that point. He doesn't matter, you know. He's got his Saudi, I mean Starbucks money, and you know it's all good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But she she says that she wants her car back, right? In that one scene near the end. She's getting angry at him and she gets upset and she says, I want my car back because he gave her that car and sold her other one. To which he says, Taylor already sold it. So she wants the money and he says that he will just send her a check. But my question here is, was he just going to keep that money? My question, how can you sell someone else's, else's car? car? Yes, you, know, you need them to sign the title over to you first. 1-800-CARS-FOR-KIDS, dude. Don't take anything. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just a tax receipt, though. You got no cash because of that. Yeah, but that's as good as gold now in, in Trump's tax plan. That's true. <laughs> Besides oh. the fact. That was one he just went to the window and did like the hands down on the windowsill thing. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Typical she actually movie looks, bullshit. She looks good in this scene. She's lit well in this scene. Yeah. He, I mean listen, knowing what, what I know and what you and I know, watching the blocking and watching the actors work this scene out, you could tell this hack director was probably like, Yes, go to the window and put your hands on the windowsill. Like, no. Everyone else in the room was just like, No, don't do that. I feel no. bad for the crew. I feel bad for the crew working on this movie. I mean, how many how many fucking sex scenes have you shot where you're just sitting there like, oh this is like this is so unsexy and this is so fucking terrible and like like 20 i mean it's only like 30 minutes of this movie's more than two hour runtime is actual sex but like having to sit through that shit you're just like oh my god and imagine being a crew member that's actually into bdsm and you're having to watch this shit happen it must have been fucking terrible to watch oh no that's like christmas for those guys because they're getting, <laughs> they're getting a paycheck and at the same time they're like whatever i'm gonna yeah. go home and tell you know tell tell my sub about this <laughs> when i when i it actually looked good the lighting in that last scene was good uh, this looks terrible though it's bad it's bad stage work i mean what's going on outside that window it's clearly a sound stage yeah i mean they just put 250 on the window and then fucking blew it out it, or like did a little soft bounce from the bottom and that's it there's no real yeah, that master shot was bad <laughs> i mean the, the, it, it isn't bad now once we get into the 32 mil which literally apparently they have two lenses on this whole movie right um <laughs> oh there you go this is the scene you were talking about yeah yeah, spanking. But I when I, I did a TV show back in the day called uh, In Plain Sight, right? And uh, In Plain Sight, there was this one scene where they were doing this like big hot tub party scene. And there was like 
there was all these girls that they brought in and did like a blocking with some extras. That way they could like give them an idea of where everything was going and how they were going to move through the extras. And then when they went into the actual scene, I remembered that like the director or the, the AD had called out that like, okay, everybody first positions and all these girls like took their tops off and they're just standing around this hot tub. And it was like Crafty had brought out, I remember Crafty had brought out Baked Ziti and I'm sitting there like eating Baked Ziti, like watching all these women topless, like jumping into a fucking hot tub. And I was like, I get paid to do this. I get paid to do this. Like this is my job right now. <laughs> it's one of the few times that I've been happy with my career. <laughs> how many how many movies have you worked on, Chris, that you were just like, wow, I can't believe that I am working on this because it was either so bad, number one, or number two, it was so good that you were like, wow, this is actually gonna be something interesting. Let me think about that. Um everyone, literally every project. <laughs> You have both I mean, dichotomies happening at the same time that it's going to be good or it's going to be shit. You know, for whoever's watching this that isn't in the film industry, you know, there's a moment on the turnpike, you know, probably about 2 a.m. Saturday morning when you're driving, <laughs> when, when the crew members are all driving back to their respective homes and you have a moment of just like, they paid me to do that. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you know <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean it's, is... it's not it's not an easy job. You know, no. I mean, the film workers of this country and, and a lot of them are really having a hard time right now. So I feel bad for yeah. them. And but you have to understand, I mean, it, it is a grueling industry in terms of the time. But yeah. at the same time, the reality is just such an altered reality. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it parallels this movie really well because it's <laughs> it does because it's such a it's such a specialized place that you couldn't you can't really generalize it like this. You, yeah. know, you, you can't, you can't just slap her on the ass six times and call it a day. <laughs> I mean, you really got to understand the nuances here. Yeah. Know? Yeah. No, it's definitely you know? true. There's actually a moment that you would just, you kind of brought this up and I was thinking about it was that there's always a moment, even with you, Chris, when I'm working with you, that I'm half expecting someone to look at me and being like, who is this kid? Like, why are we paying him in order to do what he's doing? And I'm like, every, every time I'm just kind of sitting there like, okay, they're all buying it like i think i'm okay <laughs> you know a lot of it is like making it up as you go along especially when you're in uncharted territory which is kind of interesting but i still keep waiting for some that other like shoe to fall in my career especially and being like who's this 30 year 33 year old guy that we're paying in order to do this like who the yeah. fuck is he what does he know the jumping back to this movie real quick she rides home crying in the rain as we montage all the romance of this movie set against christian running in the rain right because now it's music video time to reinforce all the things we just fucking saw like super obvious song choice as well like the end of this movie is like a fucking randy newman song but we dolly past christian sitting at the table in a boardroom and he just stands up and walks out and we cut to black this is like the fucking laziest like ending of a movie that i've seen in a really long time and that's the cliffhanger and it's like the worst dolly move too they're really, like coming in on the really back of his driving, head it's really driving me to see the second movie. Yeah, obviously they roll credits right after this moment where they cut to black and now i just want to reiterate this paul this movie was nominated for a fucking oscar for best original song for that end credit really? song yeah for that end credit song that the weekend fucking sings okay so like i love the weekend i think that he's a great artist and i love a lot oh, wait, of his wait, 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 hold on hold on look look at the rain going on behind you that is the most obvious soundstage rain i've yeah. ever seen in my life i know for, for not in the movie business that is literally a garden hose that is tied above that window I know. the bowl's poked in it 
I mean, that is terrible, terrible, terrible special effects. I know. It's like very obviously a fucking backdrop that they're looking at a fucking translate. Yeah, oh, you're exactly right. Speaking of, speaking of, actually, we did a, a few episodes ago, we did arachnophobia. And arachnophobia, like there's a moment at the end when, uh, when Jeff Daniels is sitting with his wife when they move back to San Francisco and they experience an earthquake. And the earthquake happens. And the first thing that you see move, Chris, is the fucking translate outside of the set moves it literally ripples and like it's so fucking bad that i was just like i had to back it up like three or four times it's like no way like i don't know how i didn't notice this before when oh, I that, saw this. that was sandwich 30 you know and, <laughs> and for our non-movie listeners you know a couple times a day craft service will come around with a big tray of sandwiches and literally the crew will be like fuck it i don't care what's going on yeah they're picking salad on a fucking tray i don't care i'm walking through the background i don't get it if the fucking skyline moves i need me some chicken salad i just don't know how it got to the fucking movie i was like how did this make the final Wait, what's print? going on now with the steady cam this big like whirling dervish of the steady cam oh this is this is the uh, romantic montage that i was just speaking of reinforcing the fact that christian is this really romantic guy and not a gaslighting piece of shit because he's super moody and he's running through the rain because like every great fucking tortured guy is <laughs> gotta run in the rain people okay so paul maybe you can speak directly to this but living uh, in Mark. seattle people that run in the rain do they wear rain gear like a normal fucking human being or do they wear fucking like a sweater and some sweatpants as they're running in the rain so they could get soaked now there's actually two styles of people there's the rain gear patagonia rei crowd and then there's the people that just run in the rain and then throw their shit in the dryer when they get home okay so, how many of those people have man buns uh you know i you can never see you can never tell if they have a man bun but i think the man bun is kind of Falling out of fashion in Seattle nowadays. Oh, um, spoiler thankful. alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hipster scum. <laughs> But dude, uh, again, with the Academy Award nomination in this movie as we're wrapping up right behind me, this is the dolly shot I was talking about. Watch. He stands up and cut to black right now. <laughs> but like the song that's playing is done by The Weeknd and I love The Weeknd. If you don't know who The Weeknd is, you should go on Spotify and listen to him. He's really great. But like he got nominated for an Oscar for this movie. I'm like, I'm sorry, Weeknd, but like I love you, man, but you're so much better than doing a fucking song for this terrible movie and I fucking hate <laughs> this was his first Oscar nomination. I'm like, Dude, Eminem at least had an 8 Mile, and 8 Mile was like a pretty decent movie and a pretty good song, but like having this being your Oscar nomination, it sucks. It must have been <laughs> a slow year for original songs, I'm going to say. Yeah. Anyway, listeners, that is 2015's Fifty Shades of Grey, an absolute horror show of a fucking movie <laughs> i fucking hate this movie with all my heart i mean i remember that i saw this movie when it came out and i had read the book obviously but i don't remember it being quite this bad i remember it being really bad but watching it again i was just like jesus like how did this get this far like through the director and through the actors and through the <laughs> editor and like through the fucking studio heads like how did it get this far that it was allowed to happen this movie was a race against time <laughs> no the, the yeah. book was they knew popular. it was shit and they just had to do it yeah it's it paid off man <laughs> I, I i can't think of a good metaphor to to assign to it right now but you know the book was so popular and the arms race to get to who owned the rights to this movie was huge and it ended up with you know with data bernetti this movie had to be made they they had yeah. a window to make this movie and that was it because if they waited too long it wouldn't have made as much money as it yeah. did would not be relevant it wouldn't have coincided <laughs> with the release of the second book and 
and you know, I hate to spoil this for the seven listeners we have right now, but <laughs> yeah, the, the timing of the release of these things are really important. And to their credit, they time this perfect. You know, the white suburban housewives came out in droves to watch this yeah. movie. You know, I mean, yeah. it had a huge opening weekend. You talked about that. I mean, that's a really important part of this. It's called the movie business. It's not show friends, it's show business. So looking forward to next week, I was just reading this article about like the 20 worst movies on Netflix right now. And one of them was the Netflix original, The Last Days of American Crime, right? And I know that I had talked to you about this before, but it has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, that's an achievement. Yeah. So... <laughs> To, to give you some sort of context here, Chris, like we just did Left Behind with Nick Cage, which has a 1% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, That's one geez. of the worst movies ever. <laughs> For a movie to score a 0%, I feel just mathematically is statistically impossible, but it is a 0% movie. So I want to push that ahead just yeah, out of curiosity. But I don't know. Is there something else that has stuck out to you over the past couple of weeks, Paul, that you've been kind of like itching in order to go on? I mean, you've piqued my curiosity now. I want to see <laughs> how bad can be if this beats out left behind and Geely and Cats. Cats? <laughs> Wait, Geely was a great movie. Fuck you. You don't actually believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Benefer and their bullshit. That is like one of the most detestable movies. That movie's a great metaphor for this movie. I mean, that movie was a race against time. It was literally, you know, <laughs> let we have to cash in on Benefer as yeah. quickly as possible because this is not going to last. Eventually, Paul, I would like to try to tackle Alexander, the final cut, which is the three and a half hour version of that movie. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll get around to watching that uh, <laughs> when I get fired from my job and I'm unemployed or whatever. <laughs> Paul, you got to watch Nanette and you got to watch, watch it. Nanette. Before I come back on and do this again, <laughs> if you haven't watched that, then I'm not coming back. Uh, uh. <laughs> watch Nanette. Yeah, Nanette's great. It is really great. It's a good place to kind of wrap this up with. It's the antithesis of this movie. I mean, it's, it's yeah. oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, I would at some point like to circle back to David Lynch because I want you to see Inland Empire in order to see what I saw, especially where there's a 30 minute scene with rabbits ironing clothes. That sounds like a David Lynch movie right there. So. <laughs> Side note, Chris, Paul here had a nightmare after watching Cats because it was like <laughs> yeah, I never have nightmares with that. That gave me that gave me the chills, man. Tell, tell, him, tell him your dream real quick, just to recap. You see, like, the cockroaches and the mice with children's faces, but mine was my, like, kid sister's face, like, superimposed on one of these dancing mice. And oh, my just, God. I woke up in a cold sweat. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened to me? <laughs> <laughs> and you were saying that you also had, like, part of the dream was that Judy Dench, like, hacked up a hairball that had your sister's face uh, on it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, I've tried to block that out of my mind. <laughs> Well, that's a movie in and of itself right there. If yeah. you if you haven't seen Cats, Chris, like it's something that it, it's inexplicable. How did Academy Award nominated people and Academy Award winning people make something this fucking horrible? Like, how did that happen? Well, Pat, Cats is the reoccurring crime that has taken place over generations. I mean, it was a horrible musical. It's a horrible yeah. fucking movie. It's like there's nothing good about Cats, and that's it, it is literally the reoccurring crime of the last four generations. <laughs>
I mean, when my 10 year old daughter, who's a dancer and my 13 year old son, who's in the theater, both say, no, we have no interest in watching that. That's a little bit of a sign. You know? Maybe it's just that whole excess of the 80s that like we're doing a bunch of cocaine and like poppers and maybe everything is okay because we can just throw a bunch of wild shit at the audience and like they'll accept it. But it won the fucking Tony. Like how the fuck does something like that win the Tony? A nonsense musical about nothing that has no story no, won a Tony Award. I'll give you an honest, uh, an honest evaluation because that it's when Broadway became nationalized. You know, Broadway wasn't nationalized before the 80s. There wasn't the, the media coverage of what Broadway was doing. But at that point, we had mass media. We had cable news. And Cats was at the forefront of just kind of capitalizing on the fact that one guy could be sitting in a studio somewhere saying, this is great. You should see this. <laughs> and that's the whole Cats anomaly is one dude sitting behind a, you know, a camera that reached lots of people and that's kind of how it happens you know uh, but it's fucking i mean it's still fucking terrible i mean it's you know <laughs> did i mention uncle nearest yes yes <laughs> we somebody fucking sponsor us like we're getting enough hits that maybe it'll start like coming up on spotify as people's recommended shit i'm not gonna suck your dick in terms of product placement though oh i'll totally product placement <laughs> uncle nearest it's good stuff <laughs> I'm gonna have to check that out. Google it. It's a really, really, really inspiring story, and it's and it's tragic, but at the same time, it's it's tragedy. Like has this nice mouthfeel, though. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) 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 Once again, listeners, thank you once again for joining us for the Movie Dicks podcast. We just looked at Fifty Shades of Grey, which I will never ever see this movie again in my life, God willing. I am kind of curious about how the sequels ended up, but more so out of like, I might want to void my stomach one day, so that's the reason why I would watch one of these movies. But anyway, thank you again for joining us. Once again, I'm Gabriel Chavez. I'm Paul Schindel. And our special guest is... Chris. Have a good night, guys. Thank you for joining us once again. Thank you.